We take up our Bibles at this time and turn to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, where we take for our consideration just the first two verses, the greeting of that letter. Uh, we've studied it before and yet wanting to speak of the wonder, uh, the story of the triune, and there are a number of places in which we can open that up. But seeing this call then, the wonder of the, the display of the work of the triune God for our salvation is what drives us here to 1 Peter chapter 1. So we'll read these words together and then we'll turn to our good confession, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 8. And so we hear these words, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Let's also pick up our Trinity Psalters, turning in its back pages to page 875. Eight seventy-five on the bottom right-hand corner, just the two question and answers, 24 and 25. So question 24, as our senior catechism students have memorized this week, how are these articles divided into three parts? God the Father and our creation, God the Son and our deliverance, and God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Since there is only one divine being, why do you speak of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because that is how God has revealed himself in his word. These three distinct persons are one true, eternal God. Thus far, our confession. Our Lord and Heavenly Fathers, we bow our hearts before your word. We pray, Father, that you would remove from us any distraction, any of the things that have come from the weak, anything that would hinder our glad response in this time of worship. Father, that we would give ourselves fully to the hearing of your word and to the revelation of who you are as you have revealed yourself there. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our spirit be pleasing to you, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when we share our faith story with others, most often we try to steer away from those things that we don't understand very well, things that are are difficult or confusing or even controversial. And certainly the reason for that is it's hard for us to explain those things that we don't understand. And so as those who are to rejoice in true faith and being made to know our God in knowledge and conviction and deep-rooted assurance that comes to us by way of that faith, that rejoicing has to include sharing the gospel. Faith would lead to that by extension. For what must a Christian believe? And here's the rub, all. We're not giving an edited story. We're not able to hide behind that's confusing or that's inconvenient or that's a struggle or I just haven't studied that enough. All that is promised us in the gospel a summary of which is taught us in the articles of our Catholic, undoubted Christian faith. And you're like, well, but then why, if we're sharing a story of faith, do we instantly, even within that creed, come first to a moment of difficulty? 
a difficulty and struggle of, of sharing something that we can't completely understand or comprehend. And if you're not aware at this point, that's the Trinity. A word you can't find in the Scriptures. The description of our God. One God revealed in three distinct persons. And instantly we stop and say, does that really matter? If we're sharing our faith and we just want to talk to people about Jesus, why does it matter? Well, frankly, because a lot of people talk about God. That children, while you come to this church and you have heard from the very moment that you've been born through to this point, if you've been a member here in this church, you've heard things like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but you're not going to have that conversation with a Mormon. You're not going to have that conversation with Jehovah's Witness. You're not going to have that conversation with a Buddhist. You're not going to have that conversation with someone who follows Islam. And so we have to go there first. And yes, we can't understand it. We can't fully comprehend it. But we can't gloss over it either. It is foolish for us just to say that there is a God when the distinctive of Christianity is the triune. We have to speak it. It says in the Athanasian Creed, now this is the Catholic faith. That we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither confounding their persons nor dividing the essence. Why does that statement matter? Because that's how he's revealed himself. That is the description of the one true God. And so the story we believe and share is of knowing this God. Of knowing the salvation that he has revealed in his word. And so, yes, we can read that story in the creation. Here is the Father and the Spirit hovering over the waters and the Word that He speaks, which is Christ, which brings it all into being. We read it at the baptism of Jesus as the Spirit descends and the Father proclaims His good pleasure in His Son. And those are stories that we can take and read to to be able to speak. Here is the reality. Even for those, and most Jewish rabbis would demure from this if you go to visit a synagogue. But as we look, holy, holy, holy. Here is that wonder of the praise of a triune God. And so all of these passages bring us before triune truth. In fact, it says in Belgian Confession, Article 9, in all these passages, we are fully taught that there are three persons in the one and only divine essence. And although this doctrine surpasses human understanding, hear the the payoff. We nevertheless believe it now through the word, waiting to enjoy it fully in heaven. And so the doctrine matters, because who our God is matters. Yes, we cannot fully understand it, but we believe it. And if we believe it by true faith, we have a responsibility to share it. And so we proclaim a story of true faith in a triune God who is to be glorified and who will gather his chosen. That's the blessing we read in these words in 1 Peter, an account then of the triune will, the triune work, and the triune Witness That triune will then is made known to us in verse 1. 
And you're like, well, what is that triune will, the will of the Trinity? It is summarized in one word, and that's this. It's glory. Glory is what he is about. Our God is to be glorified. It's the intention for all that he has made. His plan that he would be glorified in us. It's the very thing we were created for and now redeemed, recreated unto. So that he would receive all the glory as those redeemed in the gospel of Jesus Christ as we come to a saving knowledge of the truth. And so it's about the Word. And maybe that's why we struggle sometimes, because we don't always come to the Word in sharing that story. We're trying to share something personal. We have something better to share. We have truth to share. And so he makes himself and his will known then by way of his Word. Since there is only one divine being, why do you speak of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because that's how God has revealed himself in his Word. His word matters. These three distinct persons are one true eternal God. We read it in Belgian Confession, Article 8. In keeping with this truth and word of God, we believe in one God who is one single essence in whom there are three persons, really, truly, and eternally distinct according to their incommunicable properties, namely Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Which means not only that one God revealed in three persons has a will, but that triune will is accomplished within the interactions of the persons of the Trinity. And his will is worked out in the accomplishment of all he has willed. And we're able to see it. Not only in his word, but in the people that he has saved to himself. And so that's why it's important to know the triune exists, but more to believe in him. To believe in him by faith as he's revealed himself in his will and his word. And that understanding then is known even in these words of introduction in 1 Peter 1. For they are speaking, even in that intro, in that standard introduction, the will of the Lord for his glory and our good. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And you're like, well, none of, I mean, we don't read Trinity there, but what? Will of the Lord? Well, Peter knows God's will. Peter is an example of the working of the will of the Lord. He's been entrusted with the Word by the Word, granted authority from the Father through the Son and anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit for the singular task of making this triune Lord known. Peter's name even, given by God, a testimony to an unchangeable object, namely his confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That which is known in the Father, that which is revealed to him by the word and spirit, not by flesh and blood. Peter in every way is a testimony to the will of the triune God. And it's why Peter writes of it. He writes of that will and that way of salvation and glory in a given name, in a given office, and a given relationship. But that isn't just Peter's. No, what is written about Peter outside of that official apostleship is for all those the Lord wills to have for his glory. How do we read that? To those who are elect. 
which is a state not of the will of man, but of the will of a triune God. For his glory and for the good of a definite number, not because of any righteous work that they have done, but only because of the triune exercise of grace and mercy. That his will, together, one God in three persons, to have that number for his glory and will gather them who are exiles, who are away from home, who are into the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The will of the Lord that his word would be sent to them, that they would be saved. The triune will and work is to gather the suffering and the scattered a will that continues today. He's still faithful to that will. He has not changed. And it points then to the need for each member of the Godhead to do that which we could not do, that we would be saved, that we would be gathered, that we could be brought near and be saved. And it speaks of the work of the Word and Spirit then, Because we can't know this or acknowledge this apart from him. You see, we can't acknowledge that we're strangers and exiles on earth, the truth of Hebrews 11.13, apart from being made able to know the triune will. We can't abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against our soul, the truth of 1 Peter 2.11, apart from being made to know the triune, being worked on him and are in him and worked on by him for our salvation and for his glory. And so even in these words, and so many others in the scriptures, that will for a people saved by way of that confession is given. And it's something for which we give thanks if we are those elect people. That this is what he has revealed. That this is what he has been given. That this is the working out of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That one, even in that economy of the Trinity, is beyond our comprehension and yet made known to us by faith in his will and word by way of his work. And that in the second place. Because the wonder, even in speaking this sermon in this way or talking about Peter, is the fact that when we speak about the work of the Trinity, we get so wrapped up in some of the terms that I've already talked about, incommunicable properties, and and we start talking about essence and persons. and, And so all of that still seems very separate from relationship. And yet, in speaking of the relationship of the Godhead, we're also speaking then of the relationship of one who has revealed himself to us. And so when we share the story of the Trinity, we're still sharing a story of our relationship to him. For it is the will of that triune God to save, but he must accomplish all of the work of that salvation. Again, working in the economy, and we're using that words, kids, to talk about the inner workings of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And again, we don't want to move too far into trying to find an example. That's why I know oftentimes I try to come up with those examples for you. And I've seen some pastors go into dangerous, heretical places to try to... There's no example I can give you. There's no picture. There's no object lesson. There's nothing but what the Word has to say and how we can try to distill that. It's why it says in Belgic 9... Furthermore, we must note the particular works and activities of these three persons, hear this word, 
in relation to us. So not only has God revealed this, but he says, I want you to know who I am and how I'm at work and how that work manifests that you would be mine. And so needing to give ourselves to this doctrine in order to understand that. That it is the working out of that will where we start to see the revelation of distinct persons to the end that he may be glorified as one and that we'd be gathered as individual people but now one chosen people saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And so that's why we speak of the triune and his work in three parts. And so we begin with God the Father and our creation. He's revealed first in the Genesis account. Belgic 8 and 9 summarize his work. The Father is the cause, origin, and source of all things, visible as well as invisible. The Father is called our creator by reason of his power. And so while the Son and Spirit have a part to play, not only in that work, but also in that revelation... We recognize the work is primarily attributed to the Father. He is glorified for it. He has made all things by way of his will, and all things work together by way of the same. Even as we trust that he will make all things new and a new creation, a recreation, a new heavens and a new earth. Then we speak of the work of God the Son and our deliverance. This is the work, children, why we speak of in Christ alone. If you're saying, well, if it's a triune God, why don't we say that we're saved by faith in the triune God alone? Well, it's an understanding of attributing a work. That's why we sing in Christ alone. It's why we confess in Christ alone. Even as that work is done in the electing mercy of the Father and his will and in the power of the Holy Spirit to apply it. Again, Belgic 8 and 9. The Son is the Word, the wisdom, and the image of the Father. The Son is the Savior and Redeemer by His blood. And then finally, we come to the work of the Holy Spirit, which is always given to promote the work of the Father and the Son. Work directed to us and our sanctification. And so not only does the Father elect and the Son save, but the Spirit applies that blessing to us. Again, Belgic 8 and 9, the Holy Spirit is the eternal power and might, proceeding from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is our sanctifier by His living in our hearts. And that's where we start to hear again relationship. I've chosen you, I've saved you, and I sanctify you. And that sanctification is the means by which being chosen and saved is made our clear and present lived out reality. And so even here in our text, Peter makes plain that there is for God's people a call to the work of making the triune's will and work and glory known. That that as we share the same gospel story... We're always sharing the wonder of the work of the Trinity. The same God yesterday, today, and forever, working salvation in the Old and New Testaments, but also right here and right now. And how does he do that? Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. We've been chosen by the Father, as Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We are set apart to that election and those benefits 
in the sanctification of the Spirit. That the decree of the election made by the Father requires a way for those elect persons to be made holy, set apart to God, and separated from sin. And so again, relationship. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so here is that working of the Spirit continuing, that progressive sanctification that is ongoing. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, But we always ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God, Father, chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and belief in the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life who is Christ. And so it's the work of the Father and the Spirit that Peter highlights to lead us to that only way of life, to that one relationship that matters, to the work of Jesus Christ for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. That it's where our hymn comes from of our comfort, finding hope in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That the work Christ has come to do and given himself to do, emptying himself of the glory of heaven to come and to take on our flesh is for what? Hebrews 9, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And so, yes, it is good for us, it is right for us to speak that our salvation is in Christ alone. And yet all its glory belongs to a triune God alone and together. And to His work to establish a relationship with us which gives testimony to His glory. That that's where our sharing of this story needs to resolve. That this work in the fullness of the economy of the Trinity, is afforded for our salvation. That's still where your sharing of this will come. It has to. That we would be for the praise of His glory. That we would be living lives together with Him and in Him, lived in the reality of His covenant, covered by way of His atoning mercies. If we've been chosen, set apart, and saved. And you see, that's the gospel concern that sharing an understanding of the Trinity with people needs to bring us. That we might share, serve to share of letting and making that good news known as we make the triune and His work known. Driving people to the fact that it must be believed. I don't understand it. There are lots of things I don't understand but I believe it by faith. I find my hope in it by faith. It is the only work that provides comfort and hope now and forever on the basis of who He is and what He's revealed. 
So as Paul writes in Romans 8, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and to those he justified, he also glorified. And so, saints, if this true God, if triune God is for us, in believing in him, who who can be against us? If this triune God is with us and for us, then we have all things in Him. And yet the benefits of His work are ours only by faith alone. By the working of this triune God in all of those ways to afford us every rich blessing. So don't allow that kind of confusion. Don't allow that kind of befuddlement. The struggle of knowing who this God is move you away from finding faith in your only comfort. That His work is for your good. That His glory is your only hope. Because He's revealed it in His Word, even as He has for your salvation and for His glory, so that you would be for the praise of it in a life-giving testimony of a triune witness, and that briefly in the last place, because if the triune will and work are made known in his word, then it follows the triune witness is also made known in his word. So that children, as you come in your daily devotions and you come to the word, you are able almost all of the time to be able to look at that word that you've just read and be able to praise each member of the Godhead for it. You're able to see the working even in these things that we have just confessed together. Think John 3.16. For God the Father so loved the world, those he elected, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him by the gift of faith and the working of the Holy Spirit shall not perish but have everlasting life. Every text we can come and marvel in the work of a triune God. And that's important because there's no way we can give witness to salvation and glory without even a personal witness of the work and will of each member of the Godhead, each person. And so as we tell that story of true faith in a triune God who's to be glorified and who will gather His chosen, make sure that we are speaking the glory of the triune. As those elected, saved, and sanctified, our lives must give triune witness clearly in everything we say and do. And the Lord will work that in you by way of what He promises to bless you in. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's the triune blessing our proclaiming needs to resolve in, that this knowledge of the Trinity still comes there, grace and peace. In lives wholly different, given wholly to another, testifying to something altogether different than what can be observed in the natural world. The triune witness is made known in our proclamation of the Word. It is also known in the experience and reality of grace in ever-increasing measure. A witness that His gift is not just a possession, but a relationship. A wholehearted testimony of gratitude and thanks for every one of His varied graces. And for the extension that He gives to us each day of grace upon grace 
upon grace. That in his will he has ordained us to serve, to give witness of his will for his chosen in the experience and reality of peace. Peace with God and peace with man in ever-increasing measure. Because that's what that work is about. For peace to be made between us and the triune and for that peace to overflow into every relationship and every other relationship that we're in. So we would seek and know and pursue peace. And what a blessing and what a witness that would be if that's what we're about in response to God making himself known to us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we would serve as a testimony of joy and wholeness and prosperity found in him, in true grace and shalom found only in him, in ever-increasing measure. That is what we give every part of our being to give witness to, of what we've come to know by grace through faith in who the triune God is according to the witness of his word. Which means that I can't help but ask, do you know him? Do you know him? Are you giving yourself to that challenge even though it's a struggle? And we're thankful for confessions that become guardrails for us not to go headlong off into heresy and into things that are not true. But are we giving ourselves to know him? To know what his word declares, what his will intends, what his work accomplishes, what his witness speaks and is to speak. That's a life of giving ourselves in witness of thanks for who he is and what he's done, praising Father, Spirit, and Son. And that's the confession in the Athanasian Creed as well. So in everything, as was said earlier, the unity and Trinity and the Trinity and unity is to be worshipped. This is how we come before the splendor of our God. Anyone then who desires to be saved should think thus about the Trinity. It's not just a tertiary matter, it's a salvation matter. So does my life in every way give witness to a triune God, not to just some God, the God, and the salvation He alone can work, and the story that I share with the world that is only of Him? Again, we need to. Because there are lots of people who claim to believe in a God. But there is only one true God who has revealed himself in his word as one God and triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is a matter of life and death. For this is the Catholic faith that one cannot be saved without believing it firmly and faithfully. And so such a witness, may it be ours. In these words and those of 2 Peter 1, verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is our blessing in the triune. Believe it and tell it widely. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. 
And Father, in these things that we lack understanding to comprehend fully, we are thankful for that revelation, that this is how you have revealed yourself. And we can't get away from that. We can't mute that. We can't change that. We ought not to. But Father, in coming to know you, Lord, may we see it in that understanding of that relationship. That there here is the God who has elected us, who has saved us, and who sanctifies us. And we want to know him. And so we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for your work of redemption, for all the works of your hands, and for that which is yet to come. Thank you for the promise of your word. Thank you for making it known to us. And so, Lord, may we be faithful in sharing our gospel hope to sharing the message of you, all of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Would you hear us and meet us? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we have opportunity to give our offerings to our triune God this morning for our general fund.